Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wellness Code podcast. I'm Inez Pandrich. My guest today is Michelle Grant, who is the author of The Grateful, a cookbook that will help you explore the impact of how we eat on ourselves, others, and the planet. Michelle is a food systems and sustainability professional who was the founding executive director of the World Food Systems Center at the Swiss Institute of Technology, where she currently works as faculty and education director. Michelle also runs the Grateful platform, where you can find resources on how to eat and live in a way that is good for you and the planet. Michelle's mission is to teach us how sustainable development is interconnected with our personal and societal well-being. Here's our conversation. So Michelle, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you today because you have written my absolute dream cookbook. <laughs> it, it is filled with plant-based gut-friendly recipes. But more than that, the first part of your book talks about the food system, something that often um, we overlook. It's really complex, and I think it's hard for people to get into it. Um, And I guess my concern and why I feel so passionate about this particular topic is that I feel that we are really disconnected from the food that ends up on our plates. Mm-hmm. And when I read your article and as I read your book, I thought, oh my goodness, thank you so much for doing this for us, for the community, for the planet, for putting this information together. So before we get into this and we kind of talk about some of the big challenges that we are facing and some of the solutions that you talk about, I'd love to, and I'm sure listeners as well would love to know a bit more about you, about your journey. So if you could just tell us a little bit about your story and how how the book came about. Sure. Firstly, thank you so much for those beautiful words. It actually gave me goosebumps because writing a book <laughs> is so much work and, and there are so many points along the path where you really question, gee, I hope this is valuable for people. I hope that you know, the intention with which I'm putting it out is how it lands with people. And to hear you describe it like that is is exactly what I was wishing for in undertaking this project. So thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. Yeah, and so how it came about, I guess this is um, a really long story and I won't start at the very beginning because if we're honest and go back to where our story begins, it's kind of when we're born. So I will save you that. Um, but I, you know, I've always been interested in topics related to sustainable development and our impact as human beings on the planet and what each of us as individuals can do to make some sort of contribution. Um, And I've always worked professionally in this space as well. And more recently, um, I was running a research and education center at a university on food systems and sustainability. And in that work, I just had this incredible opportunity to talk to people all around the world, doing incredible work to tackle some of these um, challenges. And, you know, working also with students and running education programs and and just seeing firstly how interested everyone is in this topic and how easy it is to engage people because it's about food and it's on our plate if we're lucky three times a day. And I think that's such an incredible portal because so many of the big challenges in the world feel very distant from us. Um, They maybe are things we can't see, but 
But with food, we can. We can see it and taste it and interact with it every day. So that for me is just the perfect entry point to talk about big challenges in the world because it's food that sits at the very center of, of human health and planetary health and social well-being. And so, yeah, what an incredible tool to explore all of these things. So after about um, six years running running the center, I just had this feeling of, okay, I really would like to kind of condense and make digestible all of this interesting information in a way that um, that people who maybe aren't working professionally in this space or are not reading research articles can really engage with and um, and and do so in a way that's not completely overwhelming and depressing because I think that's one of the big challenges we we have with mm-hmm. related to sustainable development. It's so easy to quickly become disillusioned and overwhelmed and and kind of give up hope because you just feel like these things are so big. Yeah. And I'm so small. So that was really important to me. And I thought, okay, how can I do this in a way? Well, I I love to cook and I obviously love to eat. (laughs) Um, So let's try and weave this format of uh, a recipe book together with um, delivering information and stories about uh, the challenges associated with how we produce and consume our food and, um, and, you know, inspiring stories for people trying to, trying to change that and, and make it more sustainable. So I guess that's, that's how the book came to be. <laughs> what really stood out for me is um, some of the big picture uh, problems, the big challenges as well. And you lay out or you talk about some of these relationships that we had, the relationship that we have with the food systems, um, relationships that we have with the people who are actually producing our food, the impact of food production on the planet as well. So can you um, give me sort of a bit of a breakdown of what the what the modern food system looks like absolutely and this is a topic we could (laughs) take weeks to cover so I'll I'll do my best to to sort of give the the top line headings Um, so if we look at our food system that's you know everything involved in growing our food and bringing it to our plates and the impact that that has on on us as individuals but also the people producing our food and and the planet so what I like to talk about when we think of food systems are not the different elements of the system itself, it's how it all works together to give us the outcomes that we need from it. And that's firstly that we have food and nutrition security for everyone on the planet. Secondly, Mm -hmm. that the people who are involved in producing our food are able to do so in a way that they earn enough money and have a decent livelihood so they can also nourish their own families. And then finally, that we do all of this in a way that supports environmental sustainability so that we're not degrading the very environmental basis that we need to produce food in the future. And if we look at these three outcomes, food and nutrition security, social well-being and environmental sustainability, we're kind of pretty far away from where we would like to be on all of them. Um, If we take the first outcome, food and nutrition security, We have nearly a billion people in the world who are hungry, and that's a figure that is anticipated to grow substantially in um, the aftermath of the COVID pandemic. 
We have um, nearly 2 billion people who suffer from overweight or obesity, and for many of them, there are associated health implications of that. And then we have, this is what people often don't talk about, 2 billion people who suffer from something called hidden hunger. So that might mean that they're getting enough food in terms of energy um, for the day, but it's not giving them the micronutrients that they need. So for example, mm-hmm. if you have a diet that's based mainly on rice and you know just a few additional items, then you're not getting the nutrients that you need. So if we look at all of those figures, that's you know at least one third of the global population that has some sort of a health burden related to their diet. And it's nearly you know one in every five deaths that are actually related to unhealthy diets globally. And so that's just I think a phenomenal percentage of the global population that the food system is not serving as it should. And I, a lot of people, I think, still consider hunger as you know something that was a big issue in the 80s when we heard about famines in the Horn of Africa. But you know this is still a very, very big issue today. And that's actually linked to the second outcome of food systems, social well-being, because if we think about the jobs involved in the food system, whether that's a agricultural laborer working in the field to pick tomatoes or someone working in a meat processing facility. Um, These are often jobs that have quite difficult conditions. Um, There's often risks involved, whether that's working under the blazing sun all day with, you know, not enough access to hygiene facilities or it's, you know, working in very Mm. um, kind of difficult conditions in a processing plant, you know, that, um, is added to the fact that a lot of these jobs don't pay very well and often don't have any sort of um, benefits associated with them, which leaves people working in the food system in quite a vulnerable situation. And I think one of the biggest paradoxes we don't talk about is that people who work in the food system are more likely to be hungry than people working in any other sector in the world. And that, for me, just seems like it's, it's very unacceptable. And it also seems like the place we really should be looking to start um, fixing these challenges associated with hunger and malnutrition. And that's a bit on the social side. And then when we look at the environmental challenges with food, um, we have some big challenges there too. You know, nearly 30% of greenhouse gas emissions come from our food system. It's uh, producing food is the biggest driver of, of biodiversity loss and land use change globally. And, you know, 70% of fresh water is used to produce our food. There are many, many other impacts I could talk about, but that makes food the, you know, it has the biggest impact on the natural environment of all human activities. And I think that's often kind of overlooked. So that's kind of a snapshot of the big challenges that we have with food. And it might sound overwhelming and depressing, but I also think that it's, it's, um, an opportunity for hope because that means food stands at the very center of human health and planetary health. It's at the center of many of the sustainable development goals and it's something we all engage with every day. So I think that makes it an incredible lever for us to have some really big and positive change in the world. I think in particular, you know, the way you just described the relationship between food production and how that has that hidden cost and what I mean by hidden cost is the quality of lives is impacted directly by the way in which we produce food and how we price food and how we deliver food and so forth and so forth and as you said it's really unacceptable that the very people who are producing our food are 
suffering in the process. Mm. Um, so that's something that really came to focus for me personally. And although I've thought about that in the past, um, it really never, um, you know, it's just something, one of those things you don't think about it or you try not or you try not mm. to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's sort of like how we almost put up boundaries and we can deal with the feelings. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so what we do with that, okay, I'm just going to put that aside and I'm mm-hmm. just not going to think about this, the way in which the people who are producing my food are being, um, the impact that this has on them and so forth. And we see that in local production as well. And especially for Western Australia is a perfect example where you still have a lot of people just two hours out who are producing your food. And we have the ability to show gratitude, to buy direct, to support them, to um, pay a fair price. Because these are the people that will look after our soil. And soil is one of the most important things, right? Because if you don't have soil, if you don't have good quality soil, then how are we going to produce food? How is this food going to grow? Mm. Which kind of takes us into this whole conversation about um, the relationship between the way in which we produce food and the health of our environment. Um my impression is that we are so consumed by the diet. What is the diet? What's the best diet? Um, which are all really great questions and important ones. But again, what about the relationship of the way in which food is produced and the, and, and the planet? Um, if you could just talk about that a, a bit more, because this very conversation, I feel like, should be more in focus and people should be more familiar, if, yes. that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It, that all makes a lot of sense. I wasn't sure entirely what the question was, but I'll just say something. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Yeah, I think you, you raise an important point there that so often the focus of food is on, you know, what impact is it going to have on me? What sort of diet should I follow for losing weight or, you know, whatever other personal objective you have with food? And of course, our own health is it's super important, but I think we have to be careful not to put that above these other objectives because at the end of the day, they're all interconnected. And that's mm-hmm. that's why choosing what to eat becomes complicated because we have to start thinking not just about ourselves, but okay, what are the impact on others and what's the impact on the planet? And that um, that's where it starts to feel a bit overwhelming. And the other challenge in this space is is um, being able to make some of those choices is also um, a privilege. It means that we're you know able to buy the the types of foods that are aligned with our values for example um, and you know broaden our perspective away from just basic survival to to asking some of these bigger questions and I think that that's um, a place I really struggle with as well like why is it that uh, eating in a way that has a, a better impact on our health and on the planet is sometimes more expensive um, 
Why aren't we able to better integrate the true costs into our food so that uh, this was actually, you know, ingrained in in the value that we pay, not just not just in have you know having to seek it out if we care about it. And I think that that's a really interesting area that needs a lot more attention is this this true pricing of food and understanding better all the externalities of our food system that are not accounted for in the price at the moment. Because as we saw, you know, so many people working in the food system don't earn very well. And so if we can put prices in a way that they're able to earn more and make sure that those higher prices really transfer to the people working in the field and working um, to, to produce our food, then that could be a really interesting lever. We also have to be careful, though, to ensure that those that are poor that don't work in the food system can still afford and access a healthy diet. So I think that's changing a bit the way we think about about pricing of food and social safety nets and, and things like this. Can you tell us a little bit just about how this relationship with food that we have, how is that impacting soil quality? Yeah, I think it's a really good um Good point. And I have a quote in the book actually from the former Director General of the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization. And, and he says, you know, we speak about the importance of sustainable food systems, but it starts with soils. And soils host at least a quarter of the world's biodiversity. They help us mitigate and adapt to climate change. Um, they play a role in water management, in you know, improving our resilience to floods and droughts. And all of these roles often go unnoticed because soil doesn't have a voice and few people Mm. speak for them. And I just thought that was such a nice quote to, um, yeah, help us again, draw attention to this invisible, invisible things in our food system that keep us alive every day. And, you know, over the last 40 years, we've lost a third of our arable land and we're seeing desertification happen at a rate that's like three times the size of Switzerland um, each year globally. So this is a really big issue and that's where um, alternative approaches to agriculture like like those championed through agroecology or organic production methods aim to put soil health front and centre in how we produce our food. Um, And that can sometimes feel, you know, far away. These are decisions being made on the farm, but it connects to us by the types of um, produce we buy what type of farming systems we're buying it from, um, what information we're able to get about the farms that we're buying our food from to learn the types of management practice that they're putting in place. But another interesting aspect to this is the whole nutrient cycle discussion because um, when we take crops out of out of the field, we're taking nutrients away as well. And as a lot of that produce then goes into urban areas because we're an increasingly urban um, planet, that's sort of not closing this nutrient cycle because we consume those foods and then some of them land in the garbage bin and go to landfill um, or, you know, they go through our bodies and and go into the municipal waste systems and, and sanitary systems. And so that means that we are not closing this nutrient loop. So one um, area that's getting a lot of attention now in research is thinking about these circular economy principles and closing resource loops also when it comes to resources in food. And uh, one of the simple ways we can contribute to that is simply by composting, by making sure that any food or food scraps that um, 
that don't end up in our bellies do end up in in a composting system so that those nutrients can be returned to the soil and can become a part of this food system again rather than just you know either being flushed down the toilet or ending up in the in the um in a landfill where they also make a massive contribution to greenhouse gases that's right yeah i think i don't think we really realize that um what ends up in our bins in those plastic bags and it goes into the landfill is then continues to be you know problematic so that sort of brings us to the whole po- <laughs> um that brings us to you know wasting food mm-hmm. which which is a huge problem as well so how big of a problem is food wastage it's a huge problem (laughs) Um, especially when we think about like all of the people who have been involved in producing our food and all of those environmental impacts we talked about earlier and then to think that you know at least 30 percent of all of that food is lost or wasted globally so that's for me just phenomenal because we've seen that people are going hungry and we've seen all of these terrible impacts and still this food gets wasted. And it's different, right? So in um, in the global south, a lot of this actually happens in the earlier stages of the value chain. So it's actually called food losses because uh, crops, for example, maybe don't meet um, aesthetic standards if they're perhaps going to an export market and they can't be sold. So they have to be plowed back into the field or maybe um, there's not storage methods or access to market so the crops sort of rot on the way to the market or they're attacked by pests or something like this Um, but in the global north um, and in westernized countries most of it actually happens as food waste and that's primarily in our own homes and most people are not really aware of how much food they're wasting and like you said before you know it's one of those things we kind of turn our eye away from as well even if we Mm -hmm. know what's happening we kind of want to pretend that we're not the ones contributing but in reality, most of us are. Um, and I think this is just such a, in a sense, a low-hanging fruit because reducing food waste is in the best interest of everybody. Like nobody wins from this. Um, and you know, one of the challenges is that for, for countries in the north, uh, food is relatively cheap for a lot of people. You know, in Switzerland here, whenever people come and visit, the first thing they say is, oh, wow, food is so expensive here. But actually, it's still under 8% um, of, of people's income on average, which is, you know, one of the lower figures in the world. And in Australia, I know the figure's quite low as well. So in that sense, we we don't really feel the, the pain of the purchase and, and we are more likely to, to just sort of let that lettuce rot in the back of the fridge because we're running around being busy and maybe we get takeout because we don't have the energy to cook at the end of the day or something. So I honestly think that there are kind of two major things to to look at with food waste. That's valuing food appropriately and also finding a way to to slow down our lives enough that we can really integrate cooking and and integrate being connected with with the food in our fridge and in our lives um, in a closer way so that we're more mindful and and avoid um, this happening in the first place. Oh, I can't help but to think... And this is, I guess this is sort of the psychologist in me and um, thinking about values. Mm. 
So introducing values around the way in which we relate to food in our families could be super helpful. Because if I say I'm the type of person who places value on reducing food waste, Mm -hmm. I am more likely to take the extra step and take the fruit or the veg peeling outside and put it into my bokashi bucket. Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to have a bokashi bucket. Um, I haven't read a study on this, but... (laughs) This is sort of what I'm thinking. So, and and our core beliefs around the way in which we use food and taking things into consideration could then help us sort of shift these paradigms in the way in which we do things. Uh, for instance, recently I've been thinking about um, should I be drinking soy milk, almond milk, or oat milk? Mm-hmm. And so... To help me make a decision, I'm looking into how much water does it take to produce this much soy milk or this much oat milk or this much almond milk. And I know for anyone to think about this that way in those steps, it just, it hurts your head because you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have time for this. I just, what's on sale? Let me, okay, $3.50. Okay, I'm just going to go with that. But um You know, these are some of the things that I suppose we have to start taking into consideration to help us make better, more educated decisions about what we purchase and what that means in terms of uh, production, production and waste. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that said, some of the things, the, the, the patterns that I'm seeing with with us as a collective on this planet is we're seeing this planet as a resource and we just keep taking and it's almost as if we've become so disconnected that we've we forgot that we're part of a living system like an ecosystem and planet will keep giving it it is a resource but it's also an enclosed um living system so coming back to that um what can we do? What are some of the immediate things that we can do? What changes can we make to help us make better decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I just will come back to the the earlier met, uh, part where you mentioned values. And I think that's super important mm-hmm. because I also see, like for myself, I know I really care about a lot of these issues. And so when I'm living in a way that's not allowing me to say, cook healthy food for myself in the evening when I don't have time to take my compost down to the community garden, I actually start to see that as an indicator that I'm living out of alignment with my values. Okay, something has to change here. I've I've gotten too busy. I've overscheduled myself. So it's also, um, I think we can also kind of use it as an indicator uh, that, you know, we might have to make some, some bigger lifestyle changes, which are themselves difficult as well. Um, but I, I think when we become more aware and intentional with our actions, um, it can help us in that other way as well. And then in terms of, you know, deciding what to do as an individual, that's that's such a personal decision. And, and again, it is aligned with our own values because we can't possibly tackle all of these issues ourselves. And if we try to, we'll feel super overwhelmed because we'll be, you know, 
at the checkout trying to work out how to <laughs> feed our family in, in five minutes, meet our budget, you know, reduce water usage in yeah. a water scarce area, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's overwhelming. Our mind will, our mind will explode. <laughs> so yeah. I think that we need to um, carve out space for us and time for ourselves to, to think about this at a different level and decide, okay, what, what do I really care about and what are some of the steps that I can take to, to make a contribution? doesn't mean solve everything but make a contribution and to do that individually we can think about what's on our plate what we're eating how we're sourcing our food what we're cooking and how we're cooking um, and you know how we're engaging with with waste and nutrient cycling and, and all of these different things as well but then there's this other level and that's, you know, sort of changing the system. And if we want to do that at a bigger level, we have to work with other people. We can't do it through our individual actions. Um, and that means that, you know, some people choose to dedicate their work in this space because they want to have a, a bigger impact on the system. Uh, but that might not be possible for everybody. So it might be looking at some organizations doing some really interesting work and volunteering there or donating like I know my mum, for example, she volunteers for Oz Harvest in Australia, which is a fantastic organisation that looks at simultaneously rescuing food that would have been wasted um, and getting food to people who are food insecure. And, you know, for her, that felt like such a great way to make a contribution by volunteering somewhere. It could be lending your skills to, I don't know, some sort of a campaign that's trying to tackle food waste. Maybe you're a graphic designer and you can help them make nice, um, you know, nice materials to encourage people to get involved like there's so many different ways we can support bigger initiatives working with other people um and so if we can start to think about it on those two levels and working out okay what time and energy do i have myself here to make a contribution and what can i do as an individual and what can i do collectively with others that's a great way to look at it and that's doable doing what you can and kind of thinking about this on both on an individual and a community level as well. And I think um, one, if I could just add one to that, yeah, it's also yeah. to think about how we vote as well, because we are citizens. And that means if we're lucky enough to have our vote count, that also counts towards the types of systems we want to build. Uh, thank you. That's a that's a wonderful re reminder for myself personally. So because <laughs> I agree hundred and and ten percent. The other bit that I really would love to for us to to touch on just a little bit with the time that we have left is the science bit. So we have many different diets. There is a vegetarian, the plant based, the sustainable. Um, but what is what does the science say about the type of diet that we could be implementing that would be good not only for us, but also the planet? Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of work in this space, but very um, maybe disjointed and lots of different groups in different places working on it. And then at the start of last year, um, there was a big study released, which is uh, was the Eat Lancet report um, for the planetary health diet. And that's sort of the first time that a lot of this research was really brought together in a way that considered both human health, personal health, and planetary health, and tried to understand what sort of a diet would help us, um, you know, optimize both both sides of this uh, coin. And 
the results of this study they presented as a, a plate, sort of a representation of what a typical plate should look like to have a diet that's good for us and good for the planet. And half of that plate is vegetables. <laughs> I'm and looking then- at that just as I'm looking at that just as as, as we talk and um, just quickly, it is in your book. So for the folks mm-hmm. who are interested, um, you do have a visual representation of that. Sorry, go ahead. No problem. Yeah. And, and that's what I think was very nice that they made it very clear for us. Um, and then, you know, the next largest portion is whole grains, um, the next largest plant sourced protein, and then plant oils, and then very small amounts of starchy vegetables, dairy foods, animal sourced protein, and sugar. Um, and if we look at a Western diet, it's actually the flip side of that most of the time. So mm-hmm. they really recommend, um, you know, that, that on average, globally, we need to reduce by at least 50% our consumption of unhealthy foods like processed meat and sugar and pretty much an 100% increase in healthy foods like nuts and fruits and vegetables and legumes. Um, now, of course, the challenge with anything like this is it's an average, it's a global average. And as soon as you do that, um, it's challenging because every context is very different. Every person is very different. Every Everyone has different needs um, and they weren't intending to make you know, a recommendation for everyone on the planet. They were just sort of showing globally this this is the direction we need to be going if if we want to improve our own health and mm-hmm. improve the health of the planet. So um, that's also what I try and do is, well, not try, I do have a, a primarily plant-based diet um, and I'm lucky enough to be able to, you know, source the variety of foods necessary to, to, um, to do that in a healthy way. And that's just the important thing they also emphasized in this study was, um, actually, for some people in in some parts of the world that really aren't getting any of the nutrients that they need to live a healthy life, you know, small amounts of animal sourced foods can actually be really supportive um, for for their health and nutrition. Similarly, in some parts of the world, um, you know, there's maybe more grassland systems which are only um, really possible to to raise animals on them to use them to produce food so one does have to take this global recommendation and adapt it to a local context but for the majority of us it means eating more vegetables massively reducing animal source foods and getting as much whole foods fiber-based foods and and diversity and color on our plate that we can yeah beautiful um beautifully said it it all makes sense to me and um what I'll do is I'll definitely link the actual study in the show notes for the people that are, if they want to look into it a, a, a bit further. As you transition from giving us this well-rounded sort of background on the food systems and the current or, or the modern food system, you then transition into the food itself and intentional eating. So if there's something that you could leave us with and why why intentional eating um, in particular, sort of why that label or um, how you transitioned into that mindset in, in, in that way of eating um if you could um if you could tell us just a little bit about how intentional eating came about mm. yeah I'm glad that you pulled that out because it's, it's something I spent some time thinking about as you said in the beginning I didn't want in any place in this book to have um 
a voice of judgment or be preachy in any way because food is complex, it's emotional, and everybody has to decide for themselves what they can do and, and what they want to do. Um, and so I was, you know, trying to find a, a term for the type of eating I think helps us support this regardless of our context in in life. And I just landed on this term intentional because I think it links very nicely to putting um, more awareness and mindfulness um, around our actions, not just in deciding food, but the bigger questions around how we live our lives, because they're obviously very closely connected, um, becoming aware of our own values and, and what matters to us, and then working out how to align our own actions with that. And, you know, in the process, I hope that that sort of invites us all to slow down a little bit, to find more joy in the simplicity and just try to start wherever we are. We don't have to do it perfectly. We need mm -hmm. billions of us trying imperfectly um, aligned with our own intentions. So I really think that if we eat with intention, then it's, it's also asking us to reflect on, you know, is this nourishing me? Is this nourishing others? What's the impact on the planet? And it doesn't mean forcing us to immediately act on that, but becoming aware of it and then aligning our, our actions with, with our intentions. And I hope that this sort of helps us all direct what we eat towards this, this bigger purpose uh, while finding joy in the process for ourselves as well. And that's why I call yeah. this book Sustainable Eating with Purpose and Joy, because I think it's so important for all of us to, yes, connect to this bigger purpose and these bigger questions, but to find a way to do that that also brings joy and fulfillment in our own lives, because otherwise it's it's not sustainable for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And it, and it is, um, I know we've said this word sustainable a few times, but it really is about finding finding an approach that will be sustainable for you, for your family, and as such will be sustainable for the planet because we're more likely to stick with things that are long-term if we can commit to doing things a little bit differently and just start with where you are at this very moment and uh, being curious about how things work, um, cultivating that sense of awareness about the food system and finding joy in the way in which we relate with food. Mm -hmm. And I think your book does that beautifully. So can you tell us where, how we can connect with you and better yet, how can we get a copy of your book? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so the book is available on Amazon in most countries. Um, it's also available on my website. So I I also ship internationally um, through through my website. So that's www.thegreatful.com. Um, and yeah, it's also in in bookstores in Australia and in Switzerland. Um, I am Australian, but I live in Switzerland, so <laughs> that's why I have the book. Um, in, in stores in those countries. Thank you so much for spending this last hour with me here today. Um, it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. And perhaps, um, I mean, I could easily see three other episodes just kind of <laughs> digging deeper and deeper into these topics. So thank you so much.
Well, it's been a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for, for a beautiful conversation and, and your lovely feedback as well. And I'd be delighted <laughs> to come on again. So let's, let's continue the conversation. Thank you all for joining us today. I absolutely love this conversation with Michelle. And when I say that she has written my absolute dream cookbook, I mean it. Um, she shares additional resources that I would strongly encourage you to check out at thegrateful.com. And to pick up a copy of Michelle's book by the same name, you can also um, just get it directly from her website. It's resource rich and it contains over 70 vegetarian and plant-based recipes. Thank you all again and I will talk to you all very soon.